We are continuing our authentic series, Being Real. And if you remember then, authentic, as we summed it up, is to be known as real, to be true and accurate as per the original. To be authentic is to be known as real, to be true and accurate as per the original. Now, in today's passage, a passage that will be well known uh, amongst those that have been uh, in church a a few years, we get a picture of Jesus showing, loving, serving and sharing as he sets an example to follow when it comes to discipling and making also authentic disciples. We're a church that believes in disciple-making disciples, that we as a church are followers, adherents to the Word of God, and we are disciples of the living God, of the Lord Jesus Christ, and therefore our role and responsibility, as well as sharing the Gospel, the good news about the Lord Jesus Christ, is helping people to become disciples, to follow the Word, to know the Word, to learn from the Word, and then onward from there, that they too can make disciples. So it's an on-flowing A thing that continues, it's ever-growing, God willing. We are disciple-making disciples. But the, the key that we're looking at and have done over the past couple of weeks is being authentic. Now, this is a a wonderful passage about Jesus and him displaying his servant heart. The Bible tells us that he came to serve, not to be served. And the word that we see in the Greek is doulos, which means the lowest of low servant, the servant to the servants. In in the position of the world's eyes, there was no lower position. And this is how Jesus came. He came to serve, not to be served. And he shows an example here to his disciples of love for their people, for his people. And it reaches further than that, as we'll unlock the passage this morning, showing us how we then, as Christians, how we as disciples should be before a holy and righteous God. So not only does it show us the Lord Jesus in his servant heart and how we then should follow that example, but also Jesus is showing here how we should be before a holy and a righteous God. So let's go ahead and read John chapter 13, verse 1 through 17. If you've got your Bibles with you, brilliant. If not, it will be up on the screen. If you want a physical Bible, then stick your hand up and we can get one to you. And it was just before the Passover festival. Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. The evening meal was in progress and the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with a towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter. We've got to love Peter, aren't we? 
He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? With a question mark. Jesus replied, you do not realise now what I am doing, but later you will understand. No, said Peter, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Then Lord Simon Peter replied, not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. And Jesus answered, those who have had a bath need only to wash their feet. Their whole body is clean and you are clean, though not every one of you. For he knew that he was going, who was going to betray him. And that is why he said not everyone was clean. When he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I have done for you? He asked them. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I've set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Very truly, I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you'll be blessed if you do them. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just ask as we look into your word now, as we've read your word, that Father, the Holy Spirit would just open up our hearts and our minds. That Father, we might know and understand what you've got to show us through your scriptures today. Father, I pray that you'll speak through me, that you'll speak through your word. And Father, it will be abundantly clear what we're to do as believers, as disciples of yours. We ask these prayers in Jesus' precious name. Amen. There are important things, I think, at the beginning of this passage to note, right off the bat, as it were, uh, in the opening lines. First of all, then, as we've read that, Jesus knew how close the time was to his crucifixion. He also knew, because he's God in flesh, okay, he also knew Judas would betray him. But he also knew that his father was in control, that nothing was outside of his control, and that he placed all things into the hands of Jesus. He knew that his father was in control, that God hadn't left him, he hadn't left anything to chance, as it were, but knowing that you're about to, betray, uh, to be betrayed and about to be crucified, surely, as Jesus is fully God, yes, but also fully man, that surely that has some weight upon the shoulders of what he's about to do. This is a significant display of service, of love. And Jesus knows full well that he's about to be handed over by one of his own. And then further down the line, Peter, who we've already seen, absolutely categorically denies he's ever met Jesus. And Jesus here, even though he knows all of that, shows nothing but love and servitude to these disciples. Jesus' heart is on display. And this poignant act shows us who he is. His authority, his authenticity, and why the example he set here is truly remarkable. So they're all sat down, verse 2. The evening meal was in progress. You know what I mean when I say an evening meal's in progress? I assume it means that you've placed your order and it's on its way. Eh? Your evening meal is in progress. And Jesus picks this moment 
to serve and to love and to share with his disciples. Jesus gets up from the table. He removes his outer clothes. He wraps a towel around his waist. He pours water into a basin and begins to motion towards washing the disciples' feet. And there's some significant things that have happened even in those few moments. That Jesus took off his outer clothes, wrapped a towel around his waist. So as he serves, he's got nothing left to give. Do you see the picture? He uses the very towel around his waist to dry the disciples' feet. He's giving his all to these disciples. He is showing them what service looks like. And we can stand back from that this morning and we can see the servant heart of the Messiah, of the King of Kings, of God in flesh, who knew all that was about to come. And then we put ourselves in the picture and go, and still, and still, he gave everything that he had in order to serve. Now in all walks of life, and it's true in every avenue of our life, there is an order. Jesus, as we see here, he is their Lord, he is their teacher, he is their master. That was the order of things. Surely then, we could ask the question this morning, surely it's not Jesus' position to wash his disciples' feet. Surely somebody else should have stepped up. Surely it should not be Jesus washing the people's feet. Yet this act of love and service teaches the disciples, and so you and I today, an invaluable lesson. Listen to what Jesus says in verse 12. When he'd finished washing their feet, through 15, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. He says, do you understand what I've done for you? And I can imagine a few of them going, well, you've washed our feet. To be honest, it was a little bit awkward. These are people, remember. And it's awkward, isn't it, when somebody who seemingly is above you in the structure of the world does something in servitude to you. You're like, oh, that was a bit weird. I didn't know what to do. I mean, Peter, you said something, but I'll be honest, I didn't know where to look. I didn't know what was going off. Let's not be naive about it. Put yourself in the story all the time, else otherwise you can miss the intricacies of what's going off. Jesus has said to them, do you understand what I've done for you? He says, you call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that's what I am. Jesus is also not naive to the situation. He knows full well what he's just done seems odd. Because you're the master. Let's not forget, too, that Peter's already said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus has said to him, do not speak that. Now is not the time. Peter knows exactly who he is. And that's why Peter reacts like he does. He's like, Jesus, you cannot wash my feet. You are the son of the living God. You are God in flesh. You are the Messiah. You can't wash my feet. Listen, if you wash my feet, you've got to wash all of me. Jesus goes on, he says, Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. 
I've set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Jesus has shown them that when you know who you are, and when you know whose you are, you're able to be authentic in what seems to be a completely upside down theology to what the world would say is right. Jesus is absolutely confident who he is. He's confident whose he is. So therefore it enables him to be completely and utterly authentic, to be real, without, for you and I, without fear or failure. Without fear of ridicule or being undermined. That if I should go or you should go and do something that seems below your station, that you're not then worried that you're going to be undermined for the rest of your life. You know, that moment that you took the cups off of everybody's desk at work and you went and washed them all up and made sure they were ready for tea break at three o'clock. Because now then, everybody will expect that I'll do that from ever, forever and a day. No, it's not about that. You know whose you are, you know who you are, and you're able to be real in a situation that says, look, I am serving. I want to love you, I want to care for you. And the moment may then come, because this is what God does, that we are able to have a conversation with somebody. Who's washed the cups? Well, it doesn't really matter, but I, I've washed them. Why would you do that? Well, why not? They needed washing. And I work in an environment that's full of guys, in tradespeople, and nobody makes anybody else a cup of tea. Nobody. You know why? Because if I make you a cup of tea, I'm saying that your trade is more important than mine. And that is literally how the world works. And we go out of our way to make people cups of tea. It's cost us thousands. <laughs> but that's not because we're wonderful. It's because we know whose we are, we know who we are, and we can be authentic and real. If you think I'm the lowest of the low, then so be it. But God is in control, amen? I don't doubt who I am. I don't worry about whose I am. I know full well that I am the son of the most high God. He has commissioned you and I with a job to love those people around about us. To care for those people around us. In the oddest circumstances and situations, even that Jesus would wash his disciples' feet. Surely, Master, Lord, Teacher, you should not be doing that. Yet that's exactly what Jesus does. He's coming from a position of love and servitude and nothing, church, is beneath any of us. That's what makes church so special. That's what makes this body of people, the church, not the building, you and I, that's what makes church so special. Because we are not in a position where it says, oh, he shouldn't be doing that or she shouldn't be doing that. But we love and we serve and we share because we come from a position of knowing whose we are. We know who we are in and through the Lord Jesus Christ, which enables us to serve God in whatever situation or circumstance presents itself. Now, there's, yes, there's order that God has put in place and he's given each of us specific gifts to build the church and to grow the church. Absolutely. But it is not above anybody to clean the toilets. It is not above anybody to make somebody a cup of tea. It's not above anybody to sit with somebody and listen as they pour their heart out to you. 
It's not above any of us to put ourselves into a position of servant, to be that doulos as Jesus has showed us, the servant to servants. Whether it's vacuuming the carpet or making a coffee for somebody. Surely God, surely the Lord Jesus Christ in these moments has made that abundantly clear that we are able to do whatever needs to be done in order to love and to serve those around about us. And so often um, as we read the verses and we see the verses that I work as though working for the Lord. You, you know the verses? But, but that's the truth as Paul says it because naturally for us it isn't that I'm vacuuming necessarily for you. I'm vacuuming because I want to do it for God. I want to serve him. And I'll make you a cup of tea and I'll clean the toilets and we'll do whatever we do because we're church. We're serving each other, we're loving each other, but ultimately we're serving God, amen? And we want to bring glory to him. He is worthy of our praise. Nobody else. He is worthy of our praise. So we should serve, we should love, we should share at every opportunity. Not for our glory, but for his. Let me then also just take you back, if, if you will, to where Jesus is wrapping the towel back around his waist and he's filling the basin with water to begin washing the disciples' feet. Remember, Jesus is their Lord, he's their teacher, he's their master, as we've already uncovered. And so what else then is Jesus showing them in this moment? Peter, as I've already alluded to, is unhappy. He's like, you should not be doing this. And if you're going to wash just a part of me, Lord, you've got to wash all of me because I know that you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus cuts him right off and says to him, as Peter says, you can't wash my feet. He says, unless I wash you, verse 8, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. And church, right there, in the midst of a, a servant serving those that seemingly are below him, right in the midst there of that, we see the saving work of Christ. We see the saving work of Christ. We, you and I, are all unclean. Only through Jesus can we be made clean, amen? Only through him can we be made clean. Jesus says, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. But I'm a good person. It's irrelevant. I give an abundance of funds to charity. It's irrelevant. I give of my time continually. It's irrelevant. Unless Jesus is your Lord and you've accepted Christ as your Saviour, you've said sorry for the sin in your life, all of it counts for naught. Yes, they're all great things and I'd encourage you to do them. But nevertheless, it counts for naught. The first, most fundamental and important thing is that you are washed by the saving grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? That you are washed clean by the blood of Christ. That you say, Lord, I am sorry for the sin in my life. Please come into my heart and change me. Lord, make me a disciple. Help me to follow you, to know you, to love you, to serve you and those around about me. Church, the offer of life is on the table. And all you have to do is take it. 
The offer of life is on the table and all you have to do is take it. And we say then, right, if this is the case, when we know then and we see the saving work of Christ, we know what he's done for us, we go back into the story and we say, Jesus, why then? On another note, yes, show them servitude. But why wash their feet? Just fetch their dinner. The meal's in progress. Just bring the food to the table. But Jesus is showing something so much deeper. Even though Peter, as he says, is clean, he's still in need of washing his feet. As we've accepted Christ as our saviour, we too are clean. We have been washed clean by the blood of Christ. The Bible tells us in Romans chapter 8, there is nothing that can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. Amen? There is nothing, and you make the list, there is nothing, if we've accepted Christ as our Saviour, there is nothing that can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. Yet, Jesus is showing us here that we have to keep short accounts with God. Although I am clean, church, your confession will be the same. We do things wrong. We say wrong things, we think wrong things, we act in a way that does not bring glory to God. So what do we do about that? Because there is nothing that can separate me from the love of God that's in Christ Jesus. And Paul says, what shall we do then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace might increase? No, not at all. In fact, what we should do is say, Lord, I am sorry for what I've just done. Forgive me, Lord, and help me to come back into that moment of communication and relationship with you. Because, unfortunately, our sin separate, it breaks the line of communication. We want God to, to, to help us, to enable us, to bless us. And I so often pray it. And I do that on purpose. Lord, I want you to bless us as individuals and as your church. But church, let me just make us all aware of this. We have to allow God to bless us. Matt, how's that possible? I keep a short account with God. God, if we're doing something wrong, Psalm 139, if there is any way in me that is wrong, search it out, deal with it. Let's have it dealt with. God, we want you to bless us. You only, you only have to go back into the history of Israel and see how they're God's people. He's never going to let them go. He's promised that they're always his. Yet, how often do we see them go, well, I've done something wrong, and what I'm not going to do is bring it to God and say, sorry, for And God's like, I want to bless you, but I can't. Until the sin is dealt with. Until you've confessed to me. And so often it's for you and I to say, Lord, I'm sorry, that was not right. And often it's just a heart's position that is callous and pulling away from God, the old self. And we have to keep short accounts with God. And Jesus here symbolically is saying, look, as I wash your feet, it shows, keep a short account with God. Christ's sacrifice on the cross was once and for all. Amen? Amen. It was once and for all. Amen? Amen? His blood was enough. And the Bible tells us that he has placed our transgression so far from us. It's from the east to the west. It can't be measured. It's done with. Micah tells us that our sin has been cast into the ocean. There's one thing missing in glory, aside from sin. It's the ocean. That's helpful, because that's where my sin was. It's done with. It's finished. But you know what? 
I will make a mistake tomorrow. And I have to say, Lord, I'm sorry. Lord, I'm sorry for that. It's not going to separate me from the love of God that's in Christ Jesus. No. But it is going to stop me having a line of communication. And God's going to say, Matt, you need to say sorry. Much like we tell our children over and over and over again. That's not acceptable behaviour. You need to say sorry. And that is all modelled, of course, on what we see in the word of God. And Jesus shows us here servitude, yes, but also he shows us what matters and our communication is paramount if we're going to live authentic lives for him. Jesus shows us servitude and he shows us love and he encourages his disciples to go and make disciples. How? By saying, this is what you need to do. I don't know about you, but that doesn't always work. Rather, it's better to show somebody. Amen? That we show people by the way that we live and the way that we act and that we behave. So that what I do matches up with what I say. Because that makes an authentic person. What I do and what I say. And so often, even as a parent, I've said, you do as I do, not as you see me do. And that's not great, is it? And the reality is that we should be standing before our maker and say, Lord, help me to serve you and to serve others so that we can build your kingdom. God, that you would use us to further your gospel. God, that you would use us to make disciples. Amen. What a joy and a privilege that would be. So let's love, let's serve, let's share as we push forward for him who is worthy of all of our praise. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we again just want to thank you for your word this morning, Father, for its encouragement. And we just ask, Lord God, as we've seen that, uh, that act of, ser- of a servant heart as the Lord Jesus washed his disciples' feet, that, Father, you would encourage us to be those that would not be in a position where we say, oh, I, I can't do that, or I shouldn't be doing that. But, Father, that we would love, that we would serve. And that we would be willing to give our all for you. And we pray too, Lord, that you would enable us to just be mindful of the things that we do, that we say, the way that we behave and act. That, Father, that we would know that as we do things wrong, that we would come back to you, Lord. That we would say sorry and be in a communication and a relationship with you to enable us to be as productive as we can for you on a day-to-day basis. So again, Lord, we just thank you for your word. Bless us now as we continue in our worship, as we share together. In Jesus' name, we ask these things.